Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 32. Anybody already broken their New Year's resolution to lose weight? <laughs> Made it yesterday, did real good for a day, came in, had a donut, and said, well, let's just not worry about that. I'm doing good so far. Here we are a day into it. I've already lost absolutely no weight. I'm discouraged, and I think I might just eat the rest of the donuts on account of that. Just kidding, sort of. Now, in Genesis, we've discovered that there is a man named Abraham. Abraham is one of the first characters of note that we run into in Genesis, where a long period of time is spent talking about him. Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. We've talked a little bit about him. However, if you haven't been with us for those sermons, I want to bring you up to date to where we are. Abraham had a son whose name was Isaac. Isaac had two sons whose names were Esau and Jacob. Esau and Jacob were twins. There's a special place in the heart of God for twins. I can tell you there's a special place in most people's heart for twins, especially if they are identical twins. Oh, they're just so cute and precious. I had identical twin sisters. Cute and precious is one way to describe them. They were older than me. I've got a few other ways to describe them. They were twins and they were uh, unique circumstances surrounding their birth. Prophecies about who would be greater and who would be less. And Jacob, uh, wonderful story. I'm not going to tell you the whole thing. Uh, Jacob was younger than Esau, but was promised that he would... He would be the ruler and the dominant one of the two. And so as time went on, his mother, who was a little bit sneaky and conniving, decided that she would, uh, that she would help that along. And so she encouraged her son Jacob to steal the birthright. That is, in that day and age, it was the custom that the oldest son would be given a greater amount of land and of property and things like that. So it would have gone to Esau. But Jacob stole that, sort of, from, at least it's the way... The story doesn't say stolen, but every time after the story it says stolen, so he stole it from him. And then after that, Jacob tricked Esau and uh, tricked his dad, Isaac, out of the blessing. And, and Isaac blessed Jacob mightily. And when Esau came in to receive the blessing, he said, It's me, your oldest son, Esau. And Isaac said, What do you mean? You're just here. And through a marvelous story of events, we learned that Esau immediately understood that, that Jacob had not only stolen his birthright, Esau's birthright, but Jacob had also tricked his dad into giving him everything in a blessing. And there wasn't much left for Esau by the time he came in to get the blessing. Now, being the youngest child myself, I can tell you that I would be just okay with this. So I really find it hard to relate to Esau. For Jacob, I say, yes! But Esau, not so much. If you're the oldest, I'm sure you're thinking right now, this is just like my little brother. And that's kind of the way it went. And so there was bad feelings. And Esau, it says in the Bible, Esau wanted to kill Jacob. I think it probably meant it. Because Jacob decided to run away from where they were. Ran from all the way from the northern part of, the, of what is currently the nation of Israel. Ran all the way to the nation of Iraq. And there's a full country now between those two. Ran quite a ways away to his dad's to a family where Abraham had been. So that he could find a suitable wife to marry. And there he found a suitable wife, according to the custom of the time, and decided that he would work for seven years in order to earn the right to marry her. Not having any money, he needed to do something. And so he worked for seven years to, as the father of two daughters, I really like the sound of that idea. 
John, doesn't this sound good? They work for seven years for you before they get the right to marry. That really, I like that idea. However, having a father-in-law, who knows what I would have had to have done. Yeah, you can marry Cheryl. Go spend seven years starving to death on the mission field. I'll send you to a place where you'll get malaria and seven other types of, of strange diseases. If you survive that, you can have her. Seven years he worked for the right to marry Rachel. When the wedding came, he was deceived and tricked and was given Leah instead of Rachel. And then his father-in-law said, well, you can work seven more years if you'd like. Then you can have Rachel. So he decided he was so in love with Rachel, he said, sure, I'll do that. Seven years seem like but a day. Everybody say, oh. Because that's what it says. Now listen, young ladies, if you're not married, if he doesn't think that seven years seems like just a day in order to earn your hand, move on. You'll find someone who does. Move on. Married women, is that not true? If he, in the, if he before you're married doesn't feel that way, what's it going to feel like after you're married? Start it off on a positive note. So, we, so he works for him for, for 14 years for the right to marry the two daughters. He works for his father-in-law another six years to build up a flock. And then he decides he's going to leave. When he leaves, his father-in-law catches up with him after Jacob and his family runs away. And, and really is upset that he left without telling him that he was leaving. And, and this is an important part of the story because Jacob tells his father-in-law in chapter 31 of Genesis, he says, you've changed my wages over and over again. You have, you have deceived me. You have lied to me. Why would I have thought that I needed to tell you what I was going to do? Jacob's story throughout the book of Genesis is a story of high points, but mostly low points. A lot of struggles, a lot of opportunities for him to say, I've been wounded, this is not cool, I do not like this. Immediately after we read about him talking to his father-in-law, we then get the fact that he is going to meet up with his brother Esau, the brother who 20 years earlier had wanted to kill him. Now, for us, as we look back at it, we can say, well, 20 years, you should have gotten over it. I have known people who have fought much longer than 20 years. I, I once knew brothers who once sat on that side of the back row of church and once sat on that side of the back row of the same church and never talked to each other for 20 years because they'd been fighting. That's a long time. And so Jacob, not knowing what was going to happen, decided he was going to send some gifts ahead and he was going to send all of his kids out in front of him, a real man's man. He was going to send his wives out in front of him. I can only assume that this was a custom of the time. And then we catch up with Jacob in chapter 32 of Genesis. After he sent everybody out in front of him and sent them on the other side of a river, it says that Jacob crossed back over the river, and there he was alone. Genesis chapter 32, verse number 22, begins that saying he was alone. 23 tells us a little bit about that, and then verse number 24. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, verse number 28. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed then Jacob asked him please tell me your name but he said why is it that you ask my name 
And there he blessed him. Verse number 30. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, uh, probably that's the best Hebrew pronunciation, though I'm not very good at Hebrew, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip, permanently wounded because he had that evening fought with God. It's a very interesting story. It's the only one like it in the entire Bible teaches us some very interesting things about wrestling with God and wrestling with things in life and about what happens with that. We see from this story that somehow Jacob knew that he was wrestling with God. Perhaps he was looking for God in the middle of his problems. Perhaps it was other things. Maybe it wasn't until the end of the story when he asked him his name that he discovered that he had been wrestling with God. Whatever, I would like to point out that it is really difficult to read this story and then trivialize our own trouble. Sometimes we are experts at trivializing our trouble, making our troubles, not making them smaller, but making our troubles much larger than what they actually are. We come to God with troubles thinking that they're these spectacular things, when in fact they're really kind of small. And we think they're really great, and, but that just trivializes the real trouble that we go through. Try, almost puts it all on the same level. This was not a small moment in the life of Jacob. This was a big moment. A big moment that would leave him permanently wounded. Now that's uh, an interesting problem. One that we ought to think about just for a moment. Because we sang this morning a couple of songs about how God brings us out of our trouble. And in fact, God did bring Jacob out of his trouble. He was delivered that evening. He did not, the, the wrestler did not prevail against Jacob, even though they wrestled all night. Anybody wrestle in high school? Tell me when you're wrestling 300 pounders and you're 190, uh, could you wrestle all day? No. <laughs> no, that seems a little bit much, doesn't it? It takes a lot out of you just to wrestle a few minutes. To wrestle all night, I'm not exactly sure how that went. Maybe it was like the WWE with lots of breaks in the middle and all bells and lights and grand entrance. I have no idea how that took place. But what is most interesting to me in that story is the fact that he went all night. And while he wrestled all night, he, was, he eventually prevailed in the morning. But he was still left wounded. We often think that when we overcome from things that have been placed in our life, that we will overcome and things will be just as they were before. But they are never just as they were before. Because we went through something, it's impossible for them to be just like they were before. Therefore, we will carry around with us some sort of a mark that we had been there and gone through something. You could say that those are the wounds from God. And wounds from God are a special act of grace, though we often misread that act of grace. We often blame God for the things, very things that God intended to have point us directly to Him. And I find it most fascinating in the middle of this, the middle of this struggle, this human struggle, that sometimes we trivialize that or we talk so much about overcoming that we forget to tell people that life is hard sometimes. But life is hard sometimes. We go through difficult things. We go through difficult moments. And those moments have a purpose in our lives. Now, I find that particularly fascinating in this story. Maybe it's because we're not told why this happened. Of all the things we are told about this story, did you notice we're not told exactly why he wrestled with God? We aren't told why God came down to wrestle with Jacob. We aren't told why he left him permanently wounded. We aren't told any of those things in this story. 
at this point in time, I want to pause just to pay homage to my own grandfather who used to say, don't waste your time reading between the lines. There's enough in the lines to keep you busy for a long time. In other words, you should be more interested in what the Bible says than making things up about what might possibly be there. Even though those things are fascinating, there are some questions that were never intended to be answered. Leave them that way. As a parent, you may well have discovered the beauty of the phrase, because I said so. Some things in the Bible were intended to fall in that category, because God said so. Just leave it at that and move on, and you can live your Christian life just fine with that. However, I think there are some reasons why this happened. And I think those reasons arise directly out of reading the entire Bible, particularly the New Testament. It tells us why we go through things. Tells us not only why we go through those things, but what we can learn while we are going through those things. What God intends to do for us when we go through those things. And so I think that can really help us understand the story of Jacob by looking at those things. And there are five of those I want us to look at rather quickly this morning. The first one comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12 tells us that we should receive discipline for the Lord disciplines the ones He loves and He chastises every son whom He receives. Sometimes we go through things because we are God's child. It's the exact opposite of what some preach, that we never go through things because we're God's children. That's the exact opposite. And it doesn't sound much like the parent-child relationship I know. The parent-child relationship I know means that sometimes my kids go through things just because they're my kid. Sometimes pastor's kids get together and they tell stories. Those stories often include their common things that they go through, like pinching of the cheeks and things like that, the benefits and also the perils of being a pastor's kid. They go through those things just because they are. My kid, I remember when they were much smaller, we had, we had rules about when they could talk to me after a service. In those days, I uh, attended, uh, was pastor of a church there where people stayed after church sometimes for an hour and we would sit around and talk. And my kids would often want to come up and talk to me. And so we had a rule that they could come up and talk to me anytime. But they had to tap on my shoulder first and say, excuse me, Daddy, may I talk to you? I had the right to say, no, this is really important. Give me just a minute. But I hardly ever did that. Most of the time I would stop even mid-sentence if I had to to talk to my kids. It was one of the benefits of being my child. We often, you know, we sometimes look at that, the benefits of being God's child, and just go on and on about that, not stopping to think that there's also problems with that, with being a child. Being being my child creates its own unique set of circumstances. I have a peculiar personality. Fred, why are you laughing at that? Fred, if you don't know yet, as a father-to-be, you'll soon find out your peculiar personality impacts the way you pastor. I've passed days the way you father. It just does. And so being, being God's child means both good and bad things. Not because God is quirky, but because God has a standard for us. And sometimes we don't live up to that standard, and He wants to bring us up to that standard. And by doing so, the Bible calls those things discipline. Well, let's, let's catch another story. Shall we? A, a story that maybe you'll recognize some of the characters about... Uh, let, let's watch a brief story from the Andy Griffith Show. Episode 84, I believe it was, in the Andy Griffith Show about discipline. I still don't want to work for my aunt. Fine. You don't have to. 
personal allowance. That's not fair. Don't raise your voice to me. Now, you get on out of here. I got things to do.
old-fashioned woodshed? Real nice one. Hmm? Come on, Arnold. You know, you don't have to endorse an old-fashioned woodshed. Uh, kids, if you don't know what that is, ask on the way home. See what happens. Uh, yeah, you don't have to endorse the use of an old-fashioned woodshed to understand discipline. You may buy into a completely different kind of discipline for disciplining kids. That's okay. The point, the point is still very clear. Discipline's a necessary part of our lives. And as children of God, it's necessary. Sometimes we go through things that leave us permanently wounded and those things were just discipline. That God was intending to bring about something different, something better, something grander in our lives. And we go through those things because God is trying to bring about something greater. And in order to do that, we have to go through difficult moments. Those difficult moments are intended to bring about discipline and change. They're intended for us to patiently endure those moments. Intended for us to... Intended for us, as it says up there, to, to look at those moments and understand that we are going through them partially so that we can patiently endure what is going through. In fact, I would suggest that in the middle of your difficult hour, you should list, lift your patient endurance up to Jesus Christ as worship. Simply saying, when you come in here to worship, I may not have much, but I will lift up to you my patient endurance. Because John on the island of Patmos, going through a very difficult time, begins the book of Revelation by talking about his patient endurance as something that was necessary in his life. To understand that sometimes you go through moments and you simply must endure those. And do that patiently, saying, God, whatever it is that you have for me, I'm willing to go through that. Please just, just whatever it is, Lord, I'll patiently endure and lift that up to you as love and as worship unto you. Because our patient endurance is a, is a necessary part of our spiritual training, of bringing about the character of Christ in our lives. It's a part of what He has for us. It's what He has for you. And sometimes you go through those difficult moments that leave you wounded, that leave scars in your life, and you were intended to learn patient endurance during the middle of those things. In the middle of, ad of adversity, we ought to learn what it is to patiently endure those times. Your translation may not say patient endurance, but it is the best translation for it. And it's the best idea for us to get from Revelation 1, verse number 9, that we patiently endure what God has. We also ought to learn in the middle of those times to live in Christian harmony. 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about that, that the suffering that we have ought to bring unity. Verse number 8 says, finally, all of you live in unity, be of the same mind. Verse number 14, the same context, talks to us about suffering and going through difficult times. We were intended to go through those difficult times together. I have to confess to you that I've not always been a believer in relational Christianity. That is Christianity that was, that were relationships one with, the, with each other is a significant part of that. In fact, in my own personality, I could, when I go to visit a church, I like to arrive a minute late and leave right at amen, or even if I don't, if it's necessary for me to stay there, I can sit at a table all by myself and be fine. That's just kind of who I am. 
I don't do that here because when I sit down at a table, I see 10 people who I say, you know, I should really go talk to them. I'm a pastor and that's what I ought to do. And because it's not a part of my personality, I was able for years to justify not being a part of relational Christianity. Not seeing, not seeing living for Christ is also meaning living with other people for Christ. But as I grew, grew and matured, and people began to point out to me through the New Testament, no, that's just a requirement. That's a part of it. It's a mandate for a Christian to go through the Christian life with other people. Christians, to support each other, to encourage each other, to pray with each other. That's a part of who we are. It ought to be a part of what we do. And if that circle for you is very tight and very closed, I would encourage you to open it up because that's what God has in mind for you. As a matter of fact, right out of the New Testament, it's a mandate. And sometimes we go through things so that we can learn and we can discover Christian harmony. We can discover what it is to stand with other people. We can discover that unity that comes from two people instead of one jumping into Lake Michigan on the first day of the year. Pastor Paul did that because of, we talked about that last Sunday. Their kids blew the top off of their, their giving for the year to give to disadvantaged children around the world. And so Pastor Paul was going to jump in Lake Michigan in the polar bear plunge. And we sat around discussing this in a staff meeting and thought, you know, it would be really cool if we could get someone to do that with him. So we thought, well, who could we get who's bold and daring and maybe has one nut or bolt that's just a little bit loose. <laughs> and, you know, a name came up and we said, Dan Slaterzinski, call him, see if he'll do it. So, Dan, I understand you jumped in with Pastor Paul suffering for Jesus yesterday. Very happy, Very happy to do that. <laughs> you know, there was a conversation about that. My wife has something different to say about it. And... We negotiate our marriage by mutual, the mutual ability to veto anything the other person wants to do. <laughs> and that one God vetoed. Uh, Christianity was intended to be lived with each other. Not on your own. It's intended to be lived in an open way where we could, where you can invite other, other people into our world. Why do we do that? Because other people go through things. You, and, you, of course, would not want to be the person who oh, that someone else said, you know, nobody really cared. I went through this and nobody really, I sat next to that person Sunday after Sunday and they never really seemed to care. Perhaps you've seen teenagers who are wearing, who wear t-shirts to write love on her arm. Correct, Rachel? It uh, comes from a story about a, a girl who uh, suicides involved. I don't know the whole story. Ask a teenager. They all know the story. I know the bottom line of the story is this. The teenagers all over the country have decided that it is better to be a part of a community so that their friends have someone they can turn to than to not. If friends who don't know God at all can discover that, we in the church ought to discover that even more because it's part of what Christ has for us, to be there to lean on each other, to be that person who someone else can lean on, and to understand that that happens sometimes all kind of at the same time, to be the person who will meet someone at the altar at the end of a service and pray with them, if nothing else, just to stand next to them and be there know, so that they know someone is in this with you. Someone is praying for you. Someone is praying with you about this matter. There is just tremendous power in that. We went to visit my mother-in-law this past week. She's not doing very well physically, and so we spent a little bit of time in Missouri with her. It meant a lot to me when uh, the Sunday before someone asked me, you know, I've been praying for your mother-in-law. What's her name? It's just 
something simple to say, well, my mother-in-law's name is Myrna. But the very act of asking means that you've been thinking and praying about the matter. I wasn't in that alone. Someone was standing with me in that. Our moments where we wrestle with issues in life or things that God has sent our way was intended to bring us, to help us discover Christian harmony. It was intended to bring us into a position where we could see each other and we could go through those things together so that we could experience what God has and we could do that together. That we could know God's grace in a very special way. Experiencing His grace, according to 2 Corinthians, in our hour of difficulty. Discovering what God has for us even in the middle of our wounded moments where we should discover God's grace in a new way when we are wounded knowing that even when we are pressed and fearing for our very lives that someone can stand there with us and we can know God's grace in a very unique way suffering through through those experiences are intended to show us who God is but how much he really cares about us and loves us and the wound which Jacob carried for the rest of his life that limp always told Jacob about the night the night when he wrestled and overcame the night when he was patient and he endured but also the night in which he experienced God's gifts in a very special and loving way when he experienced God's love in a, in a different sort of way Uh, some, sometimes, Rachel, wave for everybody back there. Right? Rachel's my daughter. She's my middle child. Rachel looks and acts like a coach, for better or for worse. Some days, Rachel looks so much like one of my sisters that it's really remarkable. Some days, she acts so much like Denise that it's just truly amazing. From time to time, two or three times, in fact, I've had to ask her not to do something because it looked like her Aunt Denise. Aunt Denise was married to Alan. Alan was my youth pastor for a few years. Shortly after they came on staff with me, I got a call in the middle of the night, and Alan said, your sister's having a seizure. We need to take her to the emergency room. What hospital should I have her taken to? And I just said the first thing that came to my, came to my mind and then said, I'll meet you there, and I did. And So we sat there in the emergency room together, waiting and waiting, you know how that goes. And then a doctor finally came in and sat down, pulled up a chair, when doctors pull up a chair and sit down, you know that some, what follows is probably not good. And the doctor said, I don't know how to tell you this. Anytime someone starts with, I don't know how to tell you this, what follows is never good news. And the doctor said, I don't know how to tell you this, but you have a brain tumor. That's what's caused the seizure. Uh, in and out of treatment and various things, surgery was never an option because of where the tumor was at in her brain and how it was enfolded in the rest of the brain, radiation, uh, chemotherapy, several times over. Nine years later of in and out of remission, I received another phone call that said Denise's brain tumor is back. This time they say it's worse than before. There's, uh, they're going to try some things and we'll see what happens. We tried some things and Christmas time one year they we had a conversation in which they said, you know, she has a doctor's appointment on this day. We're not sure how to get her there. Her husband can't get her there. Um, and so I said, you know, I, I can take her. And my dad and I loaded my sister up into their SUV and took her to the hospital. I was there when the doctor said, looked at an MRI and said, um, uh, this tumor has gotten the best of us. There's nothing more we can do. That was between, that was the 27th, I believe, of December that year. By March, my sister had passed away. 
And because of that, there are times when I ask Rachel, hey, don't do that. That reminds me of my sister too much. We're four or five years later. And I still sometimes cry about Denise. I will always bear the wound of my sister in my heart. Always. I will always watch certain episodes of a TV program and know that we turned it into a running joke for 20 years. And will always watch that and have a soft place in my heart because of my sister. And I will always, when I do that, know that I have a special sense of God's grace in my life. Because the wounds sometimes run deep. I know I've told parts of Denise's story before. I wasn't going to this morning, but really felt compelled in prayer that I ought to. Included as part of our understanding of what Jacob went through that evening because we sometimes go through things, things we don't understand and we'll never fully understand. I will never fully understand how the most articulate of the three of us was the one who couldn't even talk before she died. I'll never understand that. I'll never understand how the one who graduated with the highest GPA of the three of us kids twice how she was left not able to make to reason things out at all. I'll never get that. A lot of things I'll never understand about it. I'm okay with some mystery. And I'm okay with not pointing at God and asking Him why or anything like that. I'm okay because I understand that sometimes we carry with us wounds and the wounds of the things that we have gone through are intended to point us back to God to show us that God had something very particular for us. They are intended to show us God's special grace in a very unique way. And it is only through those moments that we can really know the power of Christ's resurrection. For Philippians tells us that we can know what Christ went through in His suffering and His resurrection, but we only know the power of His resurrection by sharing in the fellowship of His suffering. Sometimes we are inclined to forget that. We who are people of the Spirit and the presence of God, we rejoice in all of the power of God that comes to us because of the resurrection. And we really can get charged up about God's power flowing through us, forgetting that the Bible makes a direct, draws a direct line from God's power in Christ in the resurrection to Christ's suffering and does it over and over again. That is why Philippians chapter 3 tells us that we can know the power of the resurrection by sharing in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. By going through those moments, we can see a mighty act of deliverance and we can see Christ come through and we can see His enormous, incredible power. But only when we have gone through moments like Jacob wrestling with God all evening. It's only then and only by bearing the mark of a permanent limp because God touched His hip that we can have a constant memory in our hearts about the power of Christ at work in our lives. That is when the power of Christ really comes to bear, when we understand it as something that He wants to do in a magnificent moment because we are His child, we are His incredible creation. You are God's incredible creation and He loves you and values you more than you could possibly imagine. And it is because of that that we go through difficult moments. We all know that if you spoil your child... You don't love them quite as much as if you rein them in a little bit. Yet when we translate that to our spiritual lives, we sometimes think that the only way we could know that God loves us is if everything went okay and was wonderful all the time. That, my friend, is not a parent-child relationship. 
The parent-child relationship sometimes requires that we go through difficult moments. And it is only then that we can know the true power of His resurrection. And the, skit, the video we're about to see from the skit guys points out all the things I've been talking about this morning and gives us just one more story to add to our stories about how we can know what God is doing in our lives. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, that we're, in essence, His masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't see a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a, a Picasso, you know? But I want to be a masterpiece. I want to be everything that God has created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, God, do whatever it takes to, to get things out of my life that don't need to be there. Mold me into the image of your son so that I can be your masterpiece. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? I'm God. <laughs> no, you're not. Yeah, yeah, you just said the person here I am. That's how it works. Oh, okay, okay. Um, if you're God, then make it snow in here. You know, if I made it snow in here, it'd get kind of yucky, and I really don't want to do that. See, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. Yes, I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. If you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is a very short book. It only has five chapters. Why is it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh. Yeah. Uh, if you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? You know what? I'm not so much into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. Well, gave it away. You answered my question with a question. I did? <laughs> yep, I do that. Don't I? Get it again. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. okay. All right. Hey, yeah. um, what's this about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Oh, okay. All right. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Here we go. Step okay. right up. Here we go. All right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. How do you know what to chisel and what to leave? I take out all the things in your life that aren't out of me, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of that, could you chisel right in here? I just can't get rid of it. I mean, the other went away, but this, I mean, I've tried exercising, I've watched what I ate, I even did Pilates for a while, that was awkward. But if you could chisel, all I mean, right... Can I talk or can I chisel, talk, chisel, talk, chisel, No, 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 chisel. All right, most of my children just like to talk. Not me. Bring on the chisel. Here we go. All right. You have a lot of anger. Ow. Some pride. Ow. Compare yourself to others instead of me. Ow. You're lazy. But you pretend like you're really, really busy. You have a problem with lust. Okay. <laughs> time out. I do not have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Um... Maybe, maybe we can take a little time out. I mean, I think I'm doing pretty good. You are doing good, but when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and others need to see my son. Here we go. Okay, hold on, hold on. Um, don't take this the wrong way. It's just that when I start looking more like your son, um, people get uncomfortable around me, you know? I mean, even my friends at church, they're all like, oh, you're holier than thou. Why would you do that, you know? I mean, so what you're doing right now is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. I did not say that. That's what you meant. Yes, it is. It's hard to talk to you. I mean, you know everything I'm thinking. I'm just saying, you've done good work. Maybe we take a little break, a little time out, and we'll come back to right. it. What you're doing right now is so common. What you're doing right now is called control. Do you want to control things in your life, or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control. No, no, chisel. chisel. Here we go. No, can, can we chisel where I want that? It's called control. Okay. You've been holding on to this for a long time. You ready for this? Yeah. <laughs> it hurts.
hurts me more than it hurts you. Ow! I don't think you understand this pain. Don't talk to me about pain. I know all about pain. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. And there are the things in your life, you even think back to high school that you've been doing that do not work in your life, but you go to these empty wells whenever you're hurting, whenever you're angry, whenever you're lonely and tired, but they do not work. No, 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 okay, okay. Um, I'm thinking maybe You're we could... You're on my thoughts. Oh, okay, but if we went another way... Your we ways could... are not my ways. Okay, well, look, I can't be good. You can't be good. I've made you good. Be good. Uh, what? Nothing. What is it? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just... God, I've let you down so many times. No. You were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand, and don't you forget that. In this relationship, I hold you up. Okay. Chisel away. All right. But just... Just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because I know who's inside there. God, I get up every morning and I look at him in the mirror and it is this, this scared little kid who gets up every day and tries to dress like an adult and act like an adult, but I can't. So just be prepared for what you're going to find. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that are not of me. You think you're junk, don't you? You really, really, really think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't make junk. What does that say about me? How can I show you that my love for you has no boundaries? I know. Reach in your back pocket. What? Reach in your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach in your back pocket. God. Yes? <laughs> I was just saying, God, I'll do that right now. You were just saying my name in vain. You know what? It, it's, it's a name. It's a saying. It's, it's more it's... than a name. It's more than a saying. It's more than a bad habit. It's a name above all names. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach in your back pocket. You know what that is? This is a page from, from a journal I had when I was younger. How'd you get this? Hello? Oh, yeah. Go ahead, read it. I love Angie Holland. Other side. Sorry. I married her. I was there. Oh, yeah. Dear God, today I am turning everything over to you. I'm not going to hold on to anything anymore. Your word says that you will make me your masterpiece and use me to do great things. I don't see how it's possible, but I want that with all that I am. So please do whatever it takes to make me what you want. I love you, God. I love you too, Tommy. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at.
So this salvation that you hold, don't let it be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And don't compare yourself to someone else because that is just trivial nonsense. You are my original masterpiece. You were one of my workmanship and you might find favor. This, don't look at this as a prison, but look at this as a, a father disciplines his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. I know, but it's gonna be tough. Yes, it'll be tough. But you bought into the lie, thinking everything was going to be easy when you said yes to me. It's not how it works. I want you to do something. I want you to look up there, and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy. No, 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 no. The way you see yourself, or you yearn so much for others to see you. But the way I see you. Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece. And so for five stories now, we've seen God's work in, in our lives to bring about bring us through difficult moments we've seen it in Jacob's story where Jacob wrestled with God all night long and had in his body for the rest of his life a permanent mark a wound that he limped because of it we've seen through uh, Andy the Andy Griffith bit we saw a story about discipline and how God disciplines those that he loves and that was the whole point of us watching that we talked a little bit about about a story from my life and my sister and how sometimes we go through these moments and yet through those moments they become a permanent part of who we are. And that permanent part of who we are, we bear that for the rest of our lives. And we've seen here that that's just a part of what God does to make us His beautiful workmanship. That God is in the process of making you into who He wants you to be. And you can look at those difficult moments as God not caring about you, or you can see those difficult moments as the exact opposite. That God cares so much that He's willing to chisel, chisel away parts that don't belong there in your life. That God cares so much that He's willing to take you to, to and through those difficult moments to bring about something wonderful and spectacular in your life. You can see yourself as God's workmanship Something that God is creating you into a master of art at work to make you His masterpiece. And even if you don't look on the outside like a masterpiece, that's only because you're looking at the outside. And God wants us to look at the inside and see why He's taking us through the things He's taking us through. Sometimes leaving us permanently wounded so that those permanent wounds will leave a mark on us and we will not forget. I'm well acquainted with that process and know what it is for God to say, you're going to be wounded and you're going to stay wounded. It doesn't mean I haven't overcome. The limp never meant that Jacob didn't win. In fact, it meant the opposite. He had overcome. That's why he was able to survive and have the limp. It's not that I haven't overcome. It's that in the overcoming, wounds have been left. And they will always be there as a reminder of what God is doing in my life. And how He wanted to create me into something greater. Something more beautiful and spectacular. 
you are where you are today because God is in the process of making you into His spectacular masterpiece. And as we come to the conclusion of our service, perhaps you are going through those difficult moments and you really need someone to stand with you. Just a few minutes, I'm going to give you the chance to have that happen. I'm going to ask that as we, as we draw to a conclusion that you not see the next five to seven minutes as an opportunity to just leave quickly, but that you'd stay through for five to ten minutes here. Because sometimes we were intended to go through difficult things to discover Christian harmony. And you can't really discover Christian harmony with people who are suffering if they're suffering in here and you're eating a donut. So stick around just for a few minutes and see who you can stand with. See who you can encourage. See how you can stand with someone and let them know I am in this with you. I'm praying with you. I'm praying for you. Because that's what God really has in mind for us. God has in mind for us to bear in, the, in our body the marks of His work in our lives. And perhaps you are going through that kind of a moment at this very time. God has something for you, something that's rich and spectacular. That's why He's taking you through that. So that through it you can learn something. So that you can grow and you can become more spectacular. Would you pray with me?